from an inner city. I mean, I, to be quite frank, like I never envisioned myself as, as you know, becoming a pro athlete. You know, I, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Uh, and that was my my path out, if you will. Wow. And, you know, then I just <laughs> grew to be six, six and that all that changed. But <laughs> but, um, you know, my, my, my goal was to impact people through, you know, through medicine. And so that was a no matter what mentality. No matter what, I was going to be a successful individual. I was going to go and, and be able to impact, you know, change, uh, you know, in lives of people that need it. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Red, and welcome to the Betting on Yourself podcast, where I interview successful entrepreneurs, athletes, and other top performers who rose to the top, took success into their own hands, and bet on themselves. Today, I'm talking with Josh Childress former pro basketball player and now venture capitalist. Early in his career, Josh made a critical mindset shift. He wanted to be the one writing checks, not just receiving them. This led him down a path to become the money-savvy businessman he is today. In this conversation, he shares his story, transitioning from basketball to business, and the lessons he learned along the way. Here's my conversation with Josh. Ladies and gentlemen, this is... This this man right here is one of my favorite people in the world, and uh, we connected with the Phoenix Suns in 2012. Now, before that, we had played against each other a number of times, and uh, throughout his career, and my career. But I realized quickly how smart and and brilliant this guy is, and that his career beyond the court was going to flourish even the more, probably more than his NBA career. That's how smart he is. And so, uh, Josh, thank you for being on the podcast today, man. No, thanks for having me. You know that uh, anytime I get a chance to talk to you, I, I get excited, and um, I'm looking forward to uh, this, and then hearing hearing the rest of your podcast as well. I uh, this is this is a really cool. I, I love the title, uh, betting on yourself, and uh, would love to just kind of hear hear your conversations. I know that they're they're probably really really uh, fun, funny, uh, educational. So uh, you know, congrats on this. Thank you, brother. Thank yeah. you, brother. We, we, me and you've been in this uh, from the business side of things for the last, I don't know, eight years, seven years. Yeah. Um, but for all those listeners out there, Josh is not not only was he the Pac-10 Player of the Year, uh, but he was obviously a first round draft pick uh, with the Atlanta Hawks, and then he is uh, not only an incredible hooper, but he also has transitioned into a businessman. And he became a venture capitalist, and he's also the CEO and founder of Landspire Group, which we'll get into all of that uh, in a little bit. But um, Josh, tell me, man, I mean, your journey is incredible, and we'll get into your journey and your history and your background, um, because you've been a trailblazer, and you may not see yourself as that, but you have been uh, for a lot of guys um, and people and girls. Um, Talk to me on... What does it mean to you to bet on yourself? What has that meant to you? Mm. Well, from an early age, you know, it's really been that, right? I mean, I'm a, uh, you know, kid from from Compton, California, you know, who you know, grew up in a, a fairly, um, you know, rough environment. And, you know, I, I bet on the fact that um, I could come out of that environment and, uh, you know, make it at a, a, a university like Stanford. Um, you know, which was, uh, you know, a bit of a culture shock going in. And, you know, from there, um, you know, going to Atlanta, uh, going overseas, uh, you know, it's all about just just feeling that, you know, you are who you're, uh, you know, who you're supposed to be. You know, there, obviously there's growth opportunities and, you, you know, you, you, you kind of come into your own as a person. Um, but, you know, it, it's about, you know, Stepping up to the plate and, and stepping into who you who you feel like you're destined to be, and working as hard as you possibly can to uh, you know make that happen. But um, you know I'm I'm 100 you know focused and confident on uh, you know the position that I'm in, and you know I've been blessed to be in this position. I'm not here for I'm here for a reason. Um, you know, and, and you know you obviously you and I know we've had some you know a, a ton of faith conversations, yeah. um, and and so. Uh, you know, I have to step into that and step into that confidently. And, um, you know, that's what I'm trying to do every day. Was there or is there a pivotal moment that stands out where you took a huge risk in yourself even earlier as a kid and how that trended 
throughout your your teenage years to your adult stage? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I think for myself, in Southern California, I don't know how much you know about the basketball landscape. Um, there's a bunch of powerhouses. There's, you know, at that time there was Dominguez, there's Modern Day, there's Westchester, um, you know, and you can kind of run down the list. Uh, and I ended up going to a really small school, had no basketball history whatsoever. But I said, you know, I want to build something on my own, you know? And so, well, not strictly on my own, but myself and, and one other uh, friend of mine. And so, you know, we took this, uh, you know, obscure little small public school, you know, out in the suburbs to CIF championships and, and um, you know, really put that school on, on the basketball map. And in the, in the process, I felt like I was able to develop as a player, you know, by having to do a lot more than I would at a school that had, you know, a, an All-American point guard or, a, you know, a, a couple college bound big men. And, you know, it was uh, incredible for me to, to not only kind of build that from scratch, uh, but also um, to grow in that process um, and, you know, see our program now, you know, over the years, you know, have turned out, having turned out uh, a bunch of college and pro athletes. So, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, I'm very proud of that fact that we were able to kind of build something, um, you know, at Mayfair uh, years ago. You've, you've, you've bet on yourself a number of times throughout your, your life. Um, I had to bet on myself when I played against you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We don't knock it off. (laughs) I I, I really did. uh, Because when we played the Atlanta Hawks, I said, this guy's going to guard me the whole game and I've got to guard him. And it's not going to be easy Um, because you were, you were good, man. You were really, really good. You're still good actually. Um, Oh my God. But but <laughs> this is my platform to give you your roses, my friend. Uh, it's the truth, though, man, and it's 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 funny. But I there's a quote that you quoted that I think is really really powerful that I think set the tone for the last ten years of athletes being able to see themselves more than just an endorser of a product, but to see themselves as a brand. And I think you caught onto that a little early. There's a quote that you say that you want to shift from receiving a check to actually writing checks and that you saw yourself as your own business. Explain that. Yeah. So I think when you take a step back, right, I mean, obviously as NBA players, you know, we, we made a, a great living, 100%. And I would never uh, say otherwise. We, we, we made a great living. We lived a great life. You know, but, you know, it's those individuals that, you know, on those teams that, you know, are kind of that next level. Right. And, and, you know, I had the, the, I was fortunate enough to develop a relationship with one of the Atlanta Hawks team owners, um, you know, while I played there and, you know, he talked me through his business. He talked me through, uh, you know, his, you know, capital uh, commitments and, and kind of how he saw, you know, the world from a financial perspective. And, um, you know, it was during those conversations, it was during some conversations I had in college that I realized that's where I'd like to be, you know, in, in a position where, you know, I can I can impact other individuals, you know, through my ability to, to you know, uh, provide. And and, you know, I hope, you know, over the course of my, my career or post career, you know, I, I'm able to do enough financially um, you know, to where I can step into uh, a role to to be able to do that for other young athletes and and individuals, and, and that's just provide opportunities to, uh, you know, for them to provide for their families. So, um, you know, that's my goal. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do that with real estate as well. Uh, you know, and, and implement programs and and systems. Um, you know, to to help tenants uh, and, and clients, uh, you know, provide for their families, you know, through our property. So, you know, that, that was my, my reasoning for saying that. Yeah. That, when did you see that shift happening among athletes? I mean, me and you've talked about it for the last almost decade. Was it around that time when we recognized like, we've got to go beyond just receiving that check to actually knowing how much influence we have and owning our influence? Yeah, it was around that time. And I, I think, you know, obviously we were in, in, in Phoenix and kind of around that, that time frame. I mean, we had you know, some great teammates, um, some of which were, 
you know, kind of heavily in, in business, involved in business, um, you know, Grant Hill being one of them, uh, and then others who, who weren't, but who were trying to learn. Uh, and so I think, you know, all, both of us, you know, saw this as an opportunity to, to really like, you know, capture um, the true influence that, that we, we do have and, and leverage that to, uh, you know, impact a larger amount of people. Take us back to Compton again, um, which I thought is fascinating. I want to ask you this question. How did that, growing up in that environment motivate you to pursue success? And how were you able to navigate the adversity that you saw and that you experienced to get to the level of achievement that you were able to accomplish? Yeah. I mean, and, and uh, you know, 99.9% of that is my family. Um, you know, I have yeah. a strong family system. Uh, my mother, two older brothers, um, you know, really you know, kind of kept me in line, kept me focused, uh, you know, made sure that I stayed, stayed on top of my books. Uh, but you know, it's, it's tough, you know, it, it's tough coming out of an area like that because, um, you know, there aren't a ton of examples of success, you know, and those few examples, you know, usually are, are sports based. Uh, but you know, a large majority of the, the kids that I grew up with, um, you know, just as talented, uh, just as athletic, you know, all those things, it just may have been, you know, a, a lack of support, uh, a lack of, of direction, uh, you know, that caused, caused guys to go in a, you know, in, a, in an opposite, uh, on, a, on, a, on a different path. But, um, you know, you're a product of your environment. And, you know, if you see rundown, dilapidated, uh, you know, areas, if you see uh, people who don't have amb- ambition, drive, or struggling to make it, uh, you know, if you see all those things, you know, on a consistent basis, that's your, that's your normal. And, um, you know, like I said, I was fortunate to have family that kind of pushed me along, made sure I was exposed to different things, you know, basketball, AAU basketball was obviously a big help because I was able to travel, you know, outside of the city, you know, and see different areas. Um, you know, but, uh, it's tough, you know, it's almost like, like you have a no matter what attitude, right? Like failure is not an option. Yeah. And I think that has shaped your prism in even some of the decisions that you've made in your career and post-career. Talk about how important that mindset is of a no matter what mentality. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredibly important. And I think, you know, we've all had challenges, right? We, you know, we've had injuries. We've had, you know, seasons where, you know, things didn't go the way, the way we would like. Um, you know, situations that weren't ideal, but um, at the end of the day, I'm still going to come out of that no matter what. And I'm going to come out of it stronger, uh, better and better equipped, um, you know, for any, any challenges that I I have moving forward. And so, um, you know, from an inner city, I mean, I just be quite frank, like I never envisioned myself as, as, you know, becoming a pro athlete, you know, I I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. uh, And that was my, my path out, if you will. Wow. And, you know, then I just grew, I grew to be six, six and that all that changed, but, um, six, nine, six, six nine. <laughs> but, um, you know, my, my, my goal was to, you know, be a top notch doctor and, and, you know, and, and then impact people through, you know, through medicine. And so, um, you know, that was a, no matter what mentality, no matter what, I was going to be a successful individual. I was going to go and, and be able to impact, you know, change. Uh, you know, in lives of people that need it. And fortunately, I was, you know, like I said, I grew and, you know, I had a chance to play in the league and you know, overseas. But, you know, no matter what was always, you know, kind of ingrained in my mind. Wow. Man, how does a kid from Compton want to be a doctor? <laughs> wow. <laughs> at that time, you know, at that time, uh, I don't know if you you recall a guy named Ben, uh, ben Carson. Um, you know, he had, he, uh, the groundbreaking um, separation of Siamese twins, uh, you know, that were joined at the head. And, you know, I, I had to do a book report on him. And from that point on, I was just, I was locked in on, on being like him. And, you know, I know since like he's, he's had some controversial moments. Um, you know, he's, I think he's a part of the, uh, the uh, Trump administration and, and all that stuff, which is, you know, a whole different conversation, but by and large, like he just inspired me to want to to do what he did. Uh, 
as a profession. That was my next question, actually. Who was your biggest inspiration? Um, you mentioned Ben Carson. Uh, who else in your life was, I guess, the biggest advocate for betting on yourself? My older brothers. Those are my, my two biggest inspirations. Both of those those guys, you know, really poured into me uh, at an early age. They were with me every step of the way. You know, they saw in me what I didn't see in myself and, you know, pushed me to be better, um, you know, every day. In addition to that, my mom, obviously, you know, supporting uh, four boys and, uh, you know, doing it in a way that I look back. You know, I don't know how she did it. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? It's just, yes. um, you know, you, you, you know, when you have kids on your own and, you know, you, you experience the life as a parent. And then you just think back, like, man, how did my how did my parents do it? You know, and and, and we lived a good life. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. we, we 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 ate well. We you know, I didn't necessarily want for a ton. But uh, yeah, I mean, those three individuals uh, were a, a large were are my my, my role models and um, you know, I always looked up to all of them. You are a husband. You are a father. And we'll get into that a little later on, that dynamic. I want to take you back to your time in the NBA. Uh, you did something that was groundbreaking. You were able to, in the prime of your career, turn down some money. And we thought at the time, okay, what is Josh doing? You know, I know that a lot of guys in the NBA were like, what is Josh doing? This is, this is unique. And we didn't see the business side of it. And you had some foresight um, mm -hmm. from a business standpoint. And I think your business acumen in that moment was a foreshadow of what you're doing now. Talk about that experience of actually turning down a five-year, $33 million deal with the Hawks to actually go over to Europe in Greece and play instead of taking that contract. Talk about that mindset. And that was a big bet on yourself, a big risk at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a couple parts to that story. So at that time, my market range was like that mid-level contract. So it was like five years, four, 34, 33, 34. And uh, the Hawks ended up um, firing our GM, Billy Knight, right? And so they brought in a new guy, uh, Rick Sund. And I, had, I didn't have a relationship with Rick Sund. You know, there was no prior experience. You know, Billy, he drafted me. You know, we built a rapport over that four-year period. Uh, you know, and, and so that was that. So Rick came in and said, hey, um, you know, I know you had conversations with, with Billy, but um, let's just, you know, see where the market is. We went out to, you know, to the market. Uh, my agent came back with feedback. Hey, Josh, we have, uh, you know, we have a, a sign and trade, two sign and trade options, uh, you know, one with Phoenix, one with San Antonio. So in my mind, you know, I, I always felt like I was a, a system system kind of player. Uh, and was was really excited for the opportunity to to look at San Antonio, um, you know, if if it wasn't for the if, if it wasn't going to be the Hawks. Um, so I met with with Popovich in Vegas, you know, at summer league. You know, we talked through a little bit through like what he saw in me, what what um, you know the roles would be, what the contract would look like, you know, just kind of brief conversations. Um, and so I, my agent went back, you know, to to them and said, Hey, what do you want to do? And Rick said, I don't want to do either. So we're like, all right. I went to the market. You know, I looked at these opportunities. Um, you know, I, I essentially, you know, am now held hostage, right? I, I'm waiting for you to make a decision. Who knows what you're going to say? The market might dry up, um, you know, and then I'm stuck here probably having to play for a qualifying offer, or maybe, you know. Uh, and then this offer comes up out of, out of uh, Greece. And so, um, you know, I, take a look at it. I meet with the guys, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical because I hadn't really heard too much about like European basketball. And they said, Hey, we'll just fly you over, you know, and just take a look, you know? And so they flew me over. Uh, and it was great. It was incredible. I mean, I, you know, Athens, Greece in the summer is, uh, you know, one of the, the nicest places to visit, you know, in the world. And, uh, from a contractual perspective, uh, you know, I ended up, signing a deal where, where I would have made, you know, that same $33 million over a three-year term, you know, versus a five-year term, um, you know, because of the tax, the tax situation. So that was, you know, also kind of the, the business side of it was creating a, 
a way to, you know, make more money in a shorter period of time uh, and um, essentially kind of like sidestep the restricted free agent process. Wow. That was a huge risk, huh? Uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you bet on yourself, though. I did. I did. I bet on myself. I bet on my ability to perform. You know, my first year over there was a struggle. Um, you know, culture, culture difference. Uh, you know, the game is completely different. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I, I had an okay year as a player. Um, second year came back uh, a lot better. Um, you know, felt a lot more comfortable and, and, you know, kind of stepped into a, a different role. You know, it, it was, a, it was a huge risk. Uh, but, you know, with that, you know, I was then able to, you know, come back after that second year and essentially sign the same deal I would have signed, you know, during the restricted free agent process with Hawks. So I signed it with Phoenix, obviously, but so I, I got two years of uh, kind of a a boost in earnings and then came back and signed the same deal. Yeah, I, th- I think it set the tone for how guys see contracts and see their their leverage. Um, we've seen it with Brandon Jennings. We've seen it with LeBron, obviously, and what he's done. Um, we've seen it with a number of players now going to the G League rather mm-hmm. than going to college. Um, mm-hmm. I think what's missing, though, is your story. You know, you kind of preceded all of that. And uh, it's pretty powerful, man. Mm, well, thank you. And I, I, I'd add, you, you're seeing it now. You know, you know, I'm, I'm involved with the with the, the NBL over in Australia. Seeing it over there too. You know, yeah. that, You know, since since the inception of the program, now every kid has gotten drafted. Now this year, we might have two kids, you know, in, in the lottery, in uh, Lamelo Ball and RJ Hampton. You know, and that's that's betting on yourself. You know, that's stepping outside of the the quote unquote norm. You know, of of what is NCAA basketball. You know, what's going on over there, and not only being able to provide for yourself financially, uh, but also being able to kind of capitalize on your your name, your likeness, uh, and your brand a lot earlier. You know, so RJ goes over, he signs his contract with the team, he signs a long term shoe a sneaker sneaker deal. You know, and he's doing that. You know, when he probably would have when he would have been a, you know, a freshman at Kentucky or Duke or, or somewhere, you know, where the, the, the college coach is, you know, making seven to ten million dollars a year. Yeah. And, you know, the kids live a good life. You know, no question about it. But um, he's able to, to start his his uh, his earnings earnings uh, window, you know, a year sooner. You could see this coming a decade ago. And let me get your thoughts on the NCAA's decision with likeness and branding and all that, um, is it overdue? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. it's well overdue. And I think just giving the players the same opportunities that, you know, other kids get, right. We couldn't work during the season. Now, I mean, granted there was no time to, right. I mean, you're, you're locked into to your schoolwork and, and the season, you know, but I don't know about, you know, you at, at Ohio state, but like at, at Stanford, you know, there were times where I just wanted to go to a movie, you know, or yeah. go, you know, have a nice, a nice meal. And, you know, I couldn't afford that. Right. And so like allowing guys to to be able to, you know, just just earn something, um, you know, whether it be through autographs or through, you know, whatever they want to do, um, you know, to just be able to, to, you know, do something out of, of going to, to, you know, to the food hall. You know, and and going straight from there to you know training or or to to class. Yeah, you've got your hand in a number of things. You mentioned uh, the NBL. You played all around the world. I want to take you back a little bit, maybe eight years ago, mm-hmm. when you made the decision in the middle of your career to become a venture capitalist. Mm. What's the biggest lesson that you learned from the venture world? Biggest lesson that I learned um, really revolves around education. You know. It's a it's a dog eat dog world out there, and you know, really taking the time to educate yourself, utilize and leverage your network to you know do due diligence, and you know just understanding the space a lot more. I think that one of the things that, as a, an athlete, uh, and you know, I'd say a beginner in the investment space at that time, is you know you can get excited on ideas. Um, you know, are those, but are those ideas like actionable track record, you know, and you kind of run down the, the checklist of, of what makes a good investment versus not. Now, fortunately, um, you know, through my process, you know, 
I was able to bring uh, you bring in some individuals who had institutional grade, uh, you know, investment strategy and, and knowledge. And, you know, we've, you know, we've effectively, like, I'd say done a good job of, of kind of mitigating uh, more risk. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a learning process, right? And you, you come in and you are a target as an athlete because you have, you know, you have finances and, um, you know, you have to, to make sure that you make people wait it out, you know, make people, you know, really, 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 uh, you know, do the, the work to get you to invest your hard-earned dollars. Talk about the, the shift from being senior level in the NBA, pro sports, to now the downgrade to a junior executive level. <laughs> you know, I think, I think athletes uh, sometimes, or people in general, uh, feel entitled to be senior in a, a new space that they've never been in, a part of. Uh, yeah. Talk about that transition for you and the level of humility that comes into transitioning from being an expert in one space to now being a novice in the next space and learning your way through that. Yeah, man, that's a great, that's a great point. You know, fortunately for myself, um, I recognized that I was a novice and didn't come in expecting, um, you know, to know it all. And so I was very upfront with people. Um, and I think that that helped people realize where I was, where I want to go, but also uh, want to help me even more. You know, when you, when you get to a certain level as a pro, um, you know, you have a level of expectation on, you know, your ability to pick things up, um, your ability to perform, to execute. And, you know, you step outside of that. And you know, like you mentioned, I'm, I'm junior level. Right. Uh, but part of part of the, the journey is that I started my own company um, so that, uh, you know, I could kind of learn as I go. Uh, and, you know, I went straight to the top in terms of, you know, who I partner with. And I partner with groups that you know, have 30 years of experience that are, you know, multi-billion dollar companies um, in order to enhance my learning ability and enhance, uh, you know, my, my on-the-job training, you know, because real estate is, can be a tricky business. And so, you know, learning from individuals who do it at a high level uh, is something that I, I set out to do, you know, from the jump. And it's been great. I'm learning a lot. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm partnering on on or in deals with individuals who are, um, you know, very well experienced, uh, which has been awesome. Uh, and I've been able to through this process, uh, you know, educate myself in ways that, you know, and on things that I, I never even knew existed. In addition to that, you know, we, we talk about, you know, kind of continuing to bet on yourself. And like, you know, I went and uh, I enrolled in a master's program in real estate at Georgetown. Um, so I'm, I'm involved in that as well. To, continue to build my foundation base. Um, so, you know, by and large, I'm just, I'm just trying to get it. You know, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to educate myself while also, you know, partner with, with great groups and, you know, just kind of doing it all in conjunction with each other, uh, you know, and trying to build a company. You mentioned mentors. Mm. Me and you share a, a mentor in that regard. Um, how important is that to have mentors? Because there's entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast as well. How important is that to have it in your life? Um, it of the utmost importance. And, you know, without mentors, like, honestly, I don't know where I would be right now. I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd probably be, be still scrambling, you know, trying to, to play a few more years because I just didn't have, I don't have any, I didn't have anything going. So, I mean, mentors are incredibly important. You know, as you mentioned, we do share a few of the same same people. And, you know, those people have, you know, spent years and years and years, you know, perfecting their craft uh, just as we did in, in basketball. And so leaning on them to, to provide um, feedback, assistance, guidance, uh, you know, has been crucial to, to my life, and, you know, from a even from a personal perspective and a business perspective. So, um, you know, I. I 100% suggest uh, that, you know, you, you find a good mentor, good quality mentor, not only that can help you, but that, that, you know, also, you know, you can provide value for, um, you know, in whatever capacity you can. Well, one of them, our mentor that we share is Tony Jans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
all the way from Australia, who you befriended and became great friends with. Mm-hmm. And then you introduced him to me. And then we became partners in, in the fund in California. Uh, Tony Jans has a ton of experience in venture capitalists, yeah. as a venture capitalist. And uh, yeah, he's been a, a dear, dear, dear friend to both of us and a great mentor. Great friend, great family friend. I mean, lifelong friend. His willingness to just help, right, it was yeah. incredible. I mean, and, you know, there was never an ask from him, um, you know, and from that from that relationship, we, we've um, learned a lot. We've, you know, been in a few projects together. We've, we've had some, some successful investments. And so um, that wasn't the point of the relationship, but that's that's been a byproduct. And I think that, um, you know, for both of us, it's been, um, you know, a blessing for sure. I'm going to get to Landspire in, in a moment, but you are the jack of all trades, man. You went out and wrote a children's book. <laughs> all the listeners out there who don't know this, uh, Josh wrote a children's book. Talk about that. Again, that was another bet on yourself moment. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at the time, my daughter was, uh, was one year old. And, um, you know, you have your, your, your daily uh, daddy duties. And you know, mine was reading at night. And um, I was reading the book. And I was like, this book isn't very good. Like, I just, you know, and she got it, you know, from somebody for her birthday or something. I don't know. But I just didn't really, I wasn't really vibing with the book. So I just said, you know, I think I can do this better. Or I, I can do it at least, you know. Uh, and so I, um, I just got my notebook and started writing. And, um, you know, then over the course of, you know, I'll say a couple of weeks, I finished the book. Um, and then I was on the hunt for, you know, an illustrator and then kind of went through that process. But, you know, it was all predicated on me wanting to provide something, you know, for her that I felt good reading to her. And, um, you know, that prompted me writing that book. And, um, you know, the, the feedback has been by and large, pretty, pretty positive. It's called I am magnificent, you know, and it's a self-affirmation, you know, speaking those things into existence, right. You you are magnificent, you know, and it it talks through um, careers and uh, being, you know, helpful in the community and listen to your parents and, you know, things that I think we want to convey to our kids. Um, you know, that they can now see, you know, on a page in a book and, you know, point to the characters and see them helping and stuff. So, um, you know, I'm really excited about the the release of the book. Um, you know, like I said, it's been positive. Uh, I've gotten positive feedback and, uh, uh, you know, it just started as a, a project to, you know, just say I can do this just like this person did. As the, as the theme of the show, you, you've continued to make bets on yourself. So you wrote a children's book. Let's talk about Landspire. You made on your, your, a bet on yourself when you decided to co-found this company. You're the mm-hmm. CEO of it. Tell us about the mindset as you were starting it. The mindset was this. It was like, how can I get into communities that are under-resourced, primarily communities of color, and create change? How can I do that You know, in a way that also still kind of keeps the community, the cultural fabric of the community together? I think too often you look at areas where you grew up, you know, and there's a wave of development, you know, there's gentrification that occurs uh, and the community stakeholders never really see any of that upside in either individuals from the area or individuals that live there. Now, Um, the usual process is there's a take, 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 you know, they take the land, um, you know, they take over and, you know, people are being moved out. And so you're seeing that heavily right now in, in Inglewood. Um, you know, with the, the now imminent uh, building of, you know, the new Clippers uh, arena, the building of the, um, the, the Rams stadium, Rams or Chargers, I, I, get, them, I get them mixed up. Um, but, you know, those community stakeholders are being moved out, you know, uh, you know in, in lieu of, uh, you know, more development. So for, for me and for my, my partner, Justin, it's like, how can we do this in our community, but, but keep the community the community? And that was the genesis of, you know, Landspire, you know, and I, I give you kind of a, a backdrop of the name. When I talk to you about kids from inner cities really just not being exposed to other things, you know, I, I, I go back, I used to go back and, and do free camps and clinics, you know, in Compton, every single kid, you know, when you ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a, you know, a pro basketball player, a pro football player. I want to be a rapper. I want to, you know, it's like whatever they're exposed to on TV. 
And so now it's like, all right, well, how can we inspire these kids, you know, to be something we want, want to be involved in real estate. And so we want to inspire them through land development. So that was the, 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 the tagline for the, the company is Landspire. And um, that's our goal is like bring more kids of color uh, into the real estate space uh, and you know, help them understand the power uh, of real estate and kind of the, the generational wealth that can be created through it. That's so powerful, man. It's so powerful. It's, it's so important to diversify minority, young minorities' thought patterns. Mm. And you're doing that, man, in a, in a really incredible way. Um, educating probably on opportunity zones, taking mm. advantage of those. I'm sure that's a, a teaching point as well for a lot of your students and people that you mentor, man. How important is that for you to give back, man? I, I hear it, you know, all the time from individuals, but I want to get your perspective on, on, on giving back. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I look at it as it's selfish if I don't, right. I've been, I've been blessed to be in a position to, to do so. I I've been blessed to, um, make a, a, a great living over my, my career. Um, and now I'm blessed to be in the position I'm in, you know, in this real estate space and it would be selfish of me not to, uh, 100%. And so I need to make sure that um, I'm actively finding ways to, um, you know, to give back to those uh, individuals through education uh, and through mentorship, you know, and, and create that next generation of, uh, you know, of real estate professionals. And so, I mean, one, obviously I'm, I'm still new to it all, but, you know, the, the stuff that I learned, I just pass on directly <laughs> to other individuals. And just want to make sure that we continue to develop this cycle where we can have more and more kids understanding the power of it uh, and understanding, you know, the, really the power in like owning buildings in your community. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's transformational from a, a community perspective, you know, when, when individuals who actually care about the area, uh, you know, own it. So um, that's the, the biggest thing I'm trying to impart on, on some of these kids is, is, Look outside of what you see on TV and Instagram and understand that, you know, there's value in the areas that you live uh, and um, there's no better person to take advantage of that value uh, than you. Brother, you're a revolutionist. That's what you are. (laughs) (laughs) You're changing the mindsets of people, man, and the paradigms of how they think. You know, ownership is, is empowerment, man. That is so powerful. 100%. But, but let me... You're doing that too. So let's, let's not. This is not about me. This is about you today. <laughs> when you have a podcast and a platform for me to speak on, I would be more than gladly to talk about what we're doing. But today's about you. And um, I want to uh, shine light on you. And, and you deserve it, man. I, I watched you over the years. And uh, you're very humble, which derives that point you just made. You're very humble. And, um, but I think you need the light shine on you because you're doing so much good. I mean, you're giving back now with the pandemic situation. I've, I've seen some things you're doing on LinkedIn, online. It's mm. Very powerful, man. So you love people, man. Love your community. Yeah, I do. And I just, I feel like I have a responsibility to, you know, to help. I mean, I, I think, you know, you and I both share in that regard. Like we, we realize that we're blessed and we realize that, yeah. you know, we are responsible um, to, to pass that blessing along to others. So. Yeah, Josh is a man of faith, and and so am I. And we've talked a lot about our faith over the years, and how that really is the core value that drives us. I'm going to get to that question in a moment on, on what drives you, but I, I, I got to talk about like before we get there. Have you seen parallels between what you did in team sports and in business? Talk about that dynamic. Oh yeah, the parallels are endless. I mean, it's my my co-founder was my college teammate and roommate. So, you know, we have a great working relationship. You know, he was he was the four. I was the three, uh, you know, so he used to he used to get me open all the time, uh, you know, and kind of he was the enforcer on the team. Funnily enough, he's he's taken on that role now. I mean, he's you know, he's the enforcer. He he kind of lays down the law. He, he lets people know he has the hard word with people, if you will. Uh, you know, I, I'm more of a, uh, you know, the face of things, let's say, but, um, you know, he, he's been incredible to work with and, and to grow this thing with, and, and we've, um, you know, done a lot in a short period of time. Um, but we, we've taken that hard work ethic, uh, the dedication, 
um, you know, the uh, resourcefulness, uh, the creative mentality, and really just like just grinding through stuff, right? We've just been just grinding through through problems, through issues. We pivoted, um, you know, when we had um, you know some some other individuals kind of drop from the team, and so you know, it's been a collective. Uh, uh, just us working as hard as we possibly can, um, you know, to get to where we are. It's been, it's been amazing. I mean, I, I, there's no other way I can describe it. Um, you know, yeah. first time, first time company to, to walk in and, and get a partnership with, like I said, a, a company that's, you know, multiple billions in assets under management is not an easy task. Uh, and it's a question we get asked a lot, like, why you guys? Why did they partner with you? You know, and, and so that's just a testament to our, our work ethic and, you know, the way we present ourselves. I mean, we, we, we're the underdog, but we, we came through and, and you know, have, have, you know, done well in this short period of time. No surprise there. Fun topic to talk about, the last dance. Oh. Everyone's talking about it. <laughs> um, you're one of the rare people that actually knows Michael Jordan on a personal level. <laughs> Uh, real quickly man uh i I know we got some basketball fans out there too talk about some of the lessons we can learn from mj in the documentary yeah mj was just a beast and and as an athlete i look back you know I, i was a kid during this time obviously and i had an admiration for what they did what they're able to accomplish but i had no idea that the work that it took to you know, to do what they're doing. And so to see his mentality, to see his work ethic, to see what drives him, I am utterly amazed at it. And, and quite frankly, like I, I'm uh, even uh, more of a fan of his now. Uh, I know that people are, are talking about, you know, kind of how brash he was and how difficult he was to be around. And, you know, that's personality stuff. They're like, fine. I mean, I, I understand that. But um, just a pure drive, determination, and like a willing yourself, um, you know, to perform like unparalleled. I, I've never seen anything like it, um, and I'm I'm so happy that I can see this now, um, and it's been motivating for me, um, you know, outside of or in in the business space. And and as a side note, like I was always a Scottie Pippen fan, big Scottie Pippen fan. You know, that was my favorite player growing up. Uh, you know, and so to see him in a different light has been interesting as well. Uh, I still don't, I, I don't have any less respect for him. I mean, I think that he's I've heard he's come out and has been a little little uh, little angry about how he's been portrayed during this whole thing. Um, you know, but both were still I mean, our, our Hall of Fame and, and, you know, some of the greatest to ever do it. But it's been it's been like. I've been so excited. I haven't been excited to watch a show in, in years, but I've been so excited to watch these episodes, um, you know, and see this kind of the, the background of, of this whole thing. So. Oh, for sure. It took us back to when we were in high school, you know, and uh, college years watching that documentary. It was our saving grace for for missing live sports, man. I, I miss basketball. I know you do, too. Yeah. We both still are involved and, and follow it. Talk about so there was another big betting on yourself moment in this thing, and that's that's the shoe yeah. contract. And I know yeah. you are both sneaker guys, and for those that don't know, Mike has an incredible sneaker collection. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you really want to go there. You really want to go there. This, you know, this unknown sneaker company, by and large, in the basketball space, you know, that wanted to make three million dollars over a four year period, and you know, they made one hundred twenty five million in the first year. Right. And so, yeah. like, talk about betting on yourself. You know, that's that is one of the best examples of it right there. So uh, I was inspired by that, too. Yeah. And you have every last one of those shoes. <laughs> your, your, your connection is unreal. Uh, your my, unreal. <laughs> unreal. But I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be nice on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm being very nice, actually, on the podcast, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. But. Talk about um, talk about how the game has changed since me and you played in the NBA. The emergence of technology. Mm-hmm. I'll ask you this: Has data analytics ruined the game, or has it enhanced the game? What's your thoughts on how analytics has affected the game? I think it's enhanced the game from the perspective of of giving guys more feedback, more immediate feedback on where they're effective. Um, you know, so helping guys kind of get to their spots, helping guys understand, 
you know, hey, if if you can get to this spot on the floor, you know, you shoot 12 percent higher here. Um, you know, so let's make a concerted effort to do that. Right. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, it's also taken a little bit of uh, the joys of, of the game away. I mean, MJ was a, a, a mid range assassin. And now, you know, they, they say that the mid range is dead. And, you know, it's either layup or three. Right. And there's a there's an art to what he did. There's an art to getting to that elbow. There's an art to, to uh, you know, getting to those spots. And so utilizing data or overutilizing data, uh, let's say, you know, has as I feel like taking some of the the the, the pureness of the game away. Uh, but, the, you know, the game has evolved and it will continue to evolve. And when I first came into the league, you know, the Suns were the fastest team in the league. You know, that offense was like un- unlike anything we've ever seen. And I don't know if it's the same stats, but I remember seeing some stats a couple of years back. They would be like the 29th fastest team, you know, in the league now. Right. And so that seven seconds or less, you know, offense that they had um, was incredibly tough to guard. I can't imagine what that's like. You know, having having to you know run up and down and, and do the things that the, the guys are doing now at the in the pace of the game. So you know, I mean, but games evolve. The games evolved, and and uh, you know, I'm still a fan. I still enjoy watching it. So I, I don't know how about how you feel about it. Yeah, I'll save that for another day. Um, I think <laughs> it's been hard for me to watch uh, uh, intuition kind of be taken out of the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, data analytics has always been a part of the game. Mm-hmm. I think it's how you tell the story of the data that's mm-hmm. important to the coaches. But I, th- I think intuition is part of the game. And I may be two steps in the three-point line. Doesn't mean that it's a bad shot. Mm-hmm. Say it's a shot that's available in the moment. Mm-hmm. But that's frowned upon rather than taking back two steps to shoot the three. You know, right. so right. we've got to figure that point out. But, um, you know, I have mixed feelings. I recall a um, coach in my, the latter part of my career. There's a coach that essentially said, "Hey, we want to take you know 14, uh, you know mid-range jumpers or less this game, you know." And it was just interesting to to hear that, you know, as a player, you know, where like there's a set number of of mid-range J's, you know, that that people they want they want the team to take. Um, so to yeah. your point, like, you know, just the intuition and and just the natural inst- instinct you know, to take what's available uh, is is kind of being taken taken away from some guys. What continues to drive Josh Georges? Uh, it is the notion that I still have a lot left to give. I still have, have aspirations of uh, building a business that um, I can pass down to my kids, um, building a business that I, you know, can can bring my, my, my niece who's uh, about to be a senior in college into. Uh, and my nephews, uh, and really just creating a, a, a family family company that you know we own, we operate, and we can grow together. Outside of that, you know, I mentioned like I, I've been incredibly blessed. I've been blessed with a, a great you know skill set and a great talent and, and a great mind, uh, and I don't want to let that go to waste. And so that's a, another big part of my my driving or my my motivation is. Um, you know, do not waste the talents that you've been blessed with and utilize those to create as much impact as you possibly can. So those are, are I'd say, my biggest drivers. And, um, you know, I'm going to continue to uh, you know, focus on those things um, until I can't anymore. If you had to go back, you know, 20 years, what would you tell your 16 year old self? What advice? I would say. Invest in your your mental. You know, I think that one of the things that we're not always prepared for, um, you know, as athletes, and it's it's become magnified even more now, uh, is the difficulty uh, of you know being a professional athlete, right? And so you know, you step into it, you know, you go from being you know the man in high school, you know, the man in college. To then, you know, whatever you are in the league, right? And the league is majority made up uh, of, you know, role players. Um, but it's it's having the mental fortitude to, you know, essentially deal with the pressures and deal with the stresses and deal with the injuries and deal with 
all of that stuff that comes with, you know, being on a pedestal. And uh, I would love to have been much more equipped to deal with all of that, you know, and, and deal with, you know, the stresses of life and deal with, you know, losing a, uh, you know, losing a family member or, you know, just kind of how all of that comes into, into play. So yeah, investing in, you know, in the mental side of, of myself. I love it, man. I love it. I love spending time with you. I love you. Um, the one and only Josh Childers, man. Thank you for being on the podcast today, my brother. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I know you've had some incredible guests to date. Uh, and um, I am just thankful that you uh, you thought of me on this. Uh, you know, I, I love you like a brother and, and uh, appreciate any time we get to, to, to connect. Um, and uh, I don't have a podcast yet, but when I do, you're going to be the first person that I guarantee you. It's gonna, I'm going I'm to give you a lot of roses. Let's just put it that way. Uh, my brother my brother <laughs> it's been an honor man thank you brother for being on man yeah appreciate you hearing how Josh has recreated himself over and over again throughout his career blows me away when he sets a goal nothing stops him and it comes down to his ability to keep betting on himself to stay up to date with Josh follow him on Twitter at jchillin or visit his investment group website, landspiregroup.com. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. To read the show's notes, learn more about my work, or connect with me, visit michaelred.com. New episodes released every week on Monday, so make sure to subscribe if you want to stay up to date. Until next time, I'm Michael Red, and remember, you are the secret to your success. <laughs>